1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden,
2: Colorado. Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says. Promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Xa Podcast on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show.
1: Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the big blue banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier joined by my co-host Nick Pilato. Today we're going to do another part of the positional breakdown. we really dive deep into the Giants football roster. We tackled the running backs early. We're saving the quarterbacks for a special guest. And today we're diving into wide receiver position for the New York football Giants. Before we do that, couple announcements here on the Big Blue Banter Podcast. First of all, I just wanted to say, the Big Blue Banter Podcast is expanding to Instagram. We just created a new Instagram account. Unfortunately, Big Blue Banter was taken, so we went with N-Y, Big Blue Banter. That's N Y B I G B L B L U E B A N T E R. And please, please, please do me a favor, do us a favor, and follow us on Instagram. Just throw us that follow, throw us that like. We're going to be posting new episodes on Instagram. We're going to be posting clips of episodes, some of the stuff we find to be the best from that episode, and engagements, uh, things to get you guys involved, things that we hope you'll like. So please do us a favor and follow us on Instagram at
2: NYBigBlueBanter. Nick, how are you doing today, buddy? I am doing excellent, man. You know, it was a beautiful day. Went for a nice long bike ride. You know, I, I got a little update for the uh, Marshall Thundering Herd for uh, my NCAA. I took him to the natty, took him to the natty, and we won it. So, you know, did Conference you USA. Did you the natty,
1: or did you sim the freaking natty?
2: Okay, so first, I, I go into games that are important, and you could sim the play. So I'll sim the play oh. of the first down, oh. the second down. But then if if I'm needed, if I'm summoned, I'll step in on a third and eight, and I'll hit a nice That's... dig pattern. Oh, yeah. Dude, I doesn't
1: to... play the natty?
2: Because I don't, have the, I don't have the time to play every important game, so I, I like the recruiting no process. Point. You just play
1: the important games. You sim the rest. Nah. I, get the, I get the idea of simming to some extent. Not
2: to a full extent, to some extent. But I played like 20 plays. I played like 20 plays. Oh. I played a little defense. You know, I, I, was, I, was, I was involved in the victory for yeah. sure. It's, not not know, it's 2021. It's 2021 right now in that game, so.
1: Oh, shit. And I yeah, so I'm, I'm in there. It's here in 2020 in yeah, real life. That right.
2: Yeah, I'm getting five-star five recruits like crazy. It's awesome. It's great.
1: I love it. Marshall Thundering her now somehow a power conference. But I will say this to your bike thing. I've been trying to get into the world of biking, biking around my neighborhood here in Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, any advice on what to do for somebody who hasn't owned a bike since he was a kid but wants to bike around this area? Just Just Craigslist or what?
2: Honestly, I went on Amazon, I, I want to say, oh. and, and I got like a cheaper bike sent to me. And like it was basically put together. I had to just screw the wheels on and get it. I got a really comfortable seat and it's not an overly expensive bike. It was less than $200. Just put it together, assembled it, and I ride it around all the time now. like it's, that. It's nice. Yeah, it was I'll cheap. Have to it get, was, I'll have to get that link from you, buddy. Yeah, we will. It will be a lot of fun, man. Cause uh, riding around the New Jersey in the nice weather, you know, getting a nice tan. I mean, I walk outside and I just, you know, I just tan like really easily. So yeah,
1: you're in uh, Italiano, of
2: course, <laughs> dude. I'm paisans, bro.
1: <laughs> no, it's amazing, man. It's 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 good stuff. But th- that's it for bike talk here today on the Big Blue Bander podcast. We want to talk about the Giants. We want to talk about the roster. We want to talk about the wide receiver position. So I think as we head into 2020. <laughs> the wide receiver position is a really interesting one for the Giants from a lot of perspectives. I can start from any different one. I'll start from the 30,000 foot view, and that's that they didn't do much to really change the position or upgrade it, I guess you could say. I mean, that's what you would assume would happen via changes, but they didn't really use any assets and free agency. They you know, peppered the undrafted free agent market at receiver. They really threw their dollars there. Their guaranteed money into into wide receivers undrafted, but they didn't draft a receiver in arguably the deepest wide receiver class that I, certainly the deepest I've ever studied, maybe the deepest ever. Um, and there's two sides of this argument. There's some who believe that, A, they don't have enough talent at the wide receiver position currently. There's others who believe that, B, not only do they have enough talent at the wide receiver position, but when you add in, Evan Ingram, the tight end, and Saquon Barkley in the passing game, the running back. Well, there you got enough talent. And then there's the other argument and the whole other side of this thing, which is how much talent you actually need at the wide receiver position and how many major assets, especially considering how deep it is across the league and how many players from middle and late rounds and undrafted are really making impacts. But how important is it? towards winning football games to have all these big name guys at the wide receiver position because the Giants clearly are not taking that route. And then specifically, and we're going to dive into all of this today, Nick, but I want to kind of set the stage and see what's out there. But specifically speaking, do the Giants have the right personnel at the wide receiver position to fit Jason Garrett's system? Remember Jason Garrett is expected to bring in a corel based system, very similar to what he ran with the Dallas Cowboys in dallas when he was the coordinator even before he took over there uh as head coach and you know in that system there's a lot of vertical shots the game is the passing game is basically based on the vertical passing game it's looking for that vertical read and and if it's not there checking down quickly to the running back or the tight end um and sometimes the tight end is running the seam vertically sometimes he is even a vertically attacking player and it requires or at least it It would seem like it's best fit for guys who are bigger on the outside, guys like Miles Austin, guys like Terrell Owens, guys like Des Bryant, guys with more size on the outside versus guys like Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard. I'm not sure if Darius Slayton actually fits into that as well. But that's kind of the last more specific look at this wide receiver position. So before we dive into any of that, Nick, I want to get your overall opinion on how the Giants treated the wide receiver position this offseason.
2: I would say it's interesting would be my first uh, opinion just to say because when you look at the draft like you alluded to, very, very deep at wide receivers and the Giants just did not look to go that direction. You know what? I'm not opposed to it whatsoever. There were so many holes on this roster that you needed to address and the Giants did a solid job addressing those holes and bringing in personnel that will fit Patrick Graham's scheme much more uh, just kind of along the lines of how he utilized it down in Miami. And that's kind of what we expect to see up here in New York. But they go out and they get a couple undrafted free agents, spend some top dollar on the undrafted free agency of guys like Benjamin Victor and Austin Mack and Derek Dillon, the kid from LSU. And then you're just going into this year with darius slayton just this gem that you found in the fifth round last year you have sterling shepherd who has his concussion problems and that's definitely something that i'm worried about but he's still under contract for several years and he's a very solid receiver in my opinion a very underrated receiver, especially when you look at his ability to create separation through his route running. he's really really skilled in a facet of the game and then obviously you have golden tate who's getting a little bit long on the tooth but golden tate still under contract for, what, another two years, another three years possibly. He might be a cap casualty after this season. That's something that the Giants are going to have to explore. But they just did not look to upgrade the wide receiver position through the draft. They trusted the core players that they have. They trusted the fact that Corey Coleman can bounce back from this ACL injury. And then they were like, hey, this is a deep wide receiver trap that's very true, but guess what? That means there's going to be talented players in undrafted free agency that we can go and we can sign, and that's exactly what they did. So some of these undrafted free agents that we're going to talk about have a legit shot to earn a role on this team, and you could see them catching passes from Daniel Jones on Sunday. Yeah, there's no doubt about
1: it. I'm going to try to tackle this real quick before we dive into individual breakdowns. Uh, I mean, it probably comes as liter- as a surprise to literally no one who listens to this podcast, that I was a big fan of how they – approach the wide receiver position, not only to answer all those questions. I kind of posed at the beginning a, I think they have enough talent at the skill positions. And I say the skill positions, cause I'm including Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram in that, because they are going to be a massive, massive part of this passing game. And there's even, you know, some possibility that Caden Smith will be a big part of this passing game. And if Caden Smith is a big part of this passing game, again, less reliance on the wide receiver position. So for me, I think they had enough for me. I think, You don't need that much to win in the NFL. And I'm also kind of a believer that regardless of system, as I touch on this more specifically, talking about the Garrett angle, regardless of system, I'm just a fan of these types of receivers. The guys who are more, I guess, slight a slider build or whatever you want to call it, not as tall and and, and, and big or lengthy in that regard, but can create separation on their own. It's to me, this game is all about creating separation and literally all of those, all of those receivers we mentioned, they're big three and you know, Obviously, the depth is an issue, but their big three wide receivers all did an excellent job of creating separation. And we'll talk about one in a second, because I actually want to start with Sterling Shepard and not Darius Slayton, because everyone kind of projects Darius Slayton to be the big number one this year. And while I think it's in the realm of possibilities... I think Shepard could end up being the best receiver on this roster for the 2020 se- season for a lot of reasons. So we're going to start on him. But before we start on the individual breakdowns, Nick, I do want to say this with regards to this re- this receiver group and you know, do they fit what we want? Do they fit what we expect the system to be? You know, what can they do on their own? I think you have to look at it almost like where are they winning? Where do these receivers win on the field? And and in the ways that they win really mesh well in my opinion with the ways that daniel jones wins and that's in the quick passing game and that's with ball placement and so that leads to more that leads to a chance for bigger plays after the catch you saw this basically when all of them were on the field which wasn't very often these three receivers weren't on the field often everyone knows the stat how the giants didn't have all of their weapons on the field for a single game last year when you include barkley and ingram um in that mix but Really, all together, they really just didn't have that many options. They didn't have these guys on the field for not, for for that long of a period. But when they were on the field, they did big things together, I thought. Um, and again, they, create, they did a really good job creating separation. So let's start with Sterling Shepard here, Nick, because I actually feel like from what I've seen, and I went back today and I watched a lot of the receivers basically all day until 4 p.m. I was just watching Giants uh, All-22 on Game Pass to kind of look at the receivers, and I focused in on... Shepard and Slayton the most. I I did a little bit of work on Tate, but I'll I'll say I didn't get through all of Tate. But as far as Shepard and Slayton go, and you know me, Nick, I praise the hell out of Slayton's route running. But I still think the best route runner on this team without a doubt is sterling shepherd and i still think that everything i saw that made me excited about the pick when they drafted him in the second round and it's so hard for me to be excited about drafting a receiver and by the way i have time stamps on this shout out ian gold by the way because he, he he always remembers this one i did say they should have taken michael thomas in that draft that was a big thomas guy I thought he was a wide receiver one no one got got that but i still was super excited about the shepherd pick based on what I had seen. And that's rare for me to be excited about a wide receiver pick in round two. And it's because of his ability to create separation naturally. He's just an excellent route runner. And because of that, Nick, and because of the rapport I saw between him and Jones, remember, Shepard had 27 targets over the final three games of the season, nine a game when he was healthy. And in addition to that, he averaged 3.1 yards per se- uh, yards per- yards of separation per route run, according to Pro Football Focus, versus Tate's 2.2 and Slayton's 2.2. So he's still creating the most separation. Because of that, I'm going to give him the nod personally as the number one receiver on this team moving forward in 2020. That would be my bet. That's how I think it will play out if he can stay healthy, of course. And I want to get your take to start on: Is that crazy to believe that Shepard could be the number one for Jones? And where do you stand, kind of, on that?
2: First off, if anybody wants to see a microcosm of that, go to the Vikings game and watch Sterling Shepard. It was about mid-game run around against Trey Waynes, and he absolutely turned him around and was wide open down the field. He Shepard has that ability, he, and I do agree with what you're saying. I think he can easily be the number one. I think a lot of people are, I don't want to say forgetting him, but they kind of have... The, they have it in the back of their mind that these concussion issues are really real, and they've kind of been an issue for him, and he's missed multiple games in a couple different seasons, and that's something that's very concerning. But when it just comes to pure football player, when it comes to ability to run routes, and when you actually have to take into the fact that he was predominantly a slot receiver, but then this season he ran most of his yes. routes on the boundary as a wide receiver out split out wide because Golden Tate was manning the slot and he was more of a fit there because he's been doing it for so long and I guess they probably wanted that security blanket of um throwing to Golden Tate because he's such a veteran. Daniel Jones was a young quarterback and also Shepard missed a ton of games in the middle of the season basically right when Tate got to the team. So Tate just naturally slid in to be that slot receiver and then Shepard adjusted him towards the end of the year he played more snaps out wide. But that's another whole thing because it's totally different running routes when you have all that space to operate with in the slot, as opposed to running routes out on a boundary, where it's a more limited space in the sidelines so close to you, but he was still able to really create separation. So I can't disagree with you at all, Dan. I mean, Sterling Shepard, he has a healthy year. He can really explode this season in a more vertical-based system, but... I also think this team's going to run a lot more 12 personnel, too. And it kind of goes to what we were saying before. Why not draft the receiver? Why didn't they draft the receiver? Well, they have more 12 personnel. That means we're going to see more Levine, Toy Lolo, more Caden Smith on the field with Evan Ingram, which means another receiver is going to have to come off. That means there's not going to be as many four wide. So wide receivers like Cody Latimer, who's obviously not on the team anymore, might not be on the field as much. So I think we're going to see more packages with Jason Garrett where it's going to be multiple tight ends rather than four wide.
1: Yeah, I mean that's an excellent point too. And just for for those who don't know, a lot of times people tell me we we kind of throw some concepts out and don't always do an excellent job of explaining it and we totally note that and we're looking to fix that. So 12 personnel essentially this is the way to to go. This is kind of the bible for the, when we speak personnel. 12 personnel means means one back and two tight ends. That's correct, right Nick? Yep. <laughs> okay. So basically you look at the number and the first number is the uh, backs and the second number is a tight end. So if you have 11 personnel, that's one back and one tight end. And that means that's three receivers on the field. When you have 21 personnel, that's two backs and one tight end. And that means that you have uh, a fullback and a running back on the field usually. Um, and then finally, 13 personnel, which is rarely used. Um, that, that's what, three tight ends? or That's two tight, I guess. that's yeah, it's, it's three yeah. tight ends, yeah. Three tight so, ends, so rarely used. And then finally, 22 personnel, which is two backs and two tight ends.
2: Yeah, you'll see that on the goal line a lot. Most yeah. of the NFL runs a lot of eleven personnel, so that's one back, one tight end. Three it's wide about
1: seventy percent eleven at this point.
2: Yeah, a lot, a lot. Like during the Ben 70%. the Ben McAdoo years, it was mostly eleven personnel. We saw Shermer.
1: percent in the back. Yeah, Shermer wasn't that far off, by the way.
2: No, he wasn't. But you would see sometimes they would sneak in Rhett Ellison and and Evan Ingram, and yes. we would be as Giant fans be like, oh look some. Some 12 personnel packages is pretty cool. But I think with Jason Garrett, you're going to see a lot more. I mean, we saw him do that down at Dallas with Witten and Jarwin and a bunch of other just tight ends. And I feel like Caden Smith has the capabilities of being those Dallas backup tight ends. And then Evan Ingram is just a totally different player than Jason Witten, obviously, with a totally different skill set. But he's going to be a weapon in the middle of the field. And I really expect Evan Ingram to have a really good season. But this isn't the tight end portion of this podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sticking with what we were on there. Um, you know, and not to stray too far off. But as far as Shepard goes, he's still just twenty seven years old, just signed a four year forty one million dollars extension. You know the Giants love him. He averaged over eight targets a game when Daniel Jones was in the lineup. He averaged eight point uh, three targets a game with Jones uh, in the lineup for the games that he wasn't injured for. He actually averaged more targets than anybody uh, except for Golden Tate, who you'd be surprised to hear, but it's the truth, eight point four targets per game for Golden Tate. But, you know, like I said, 27 targets over those final three games really started to settle in. And for me with Shepard, it's all about the route running. I believe he's a really, really, really underrated route runner. I mean, before you joined the pod, Flotto Turchin, one of Turchin's hottest takes from watching the tape over and over was that Shepard was the best route runner on the Giants in 2018 above Odell Beckham Jr. And it wasn't close according to him. And, you know, I saw a similar thing. I mean, I'm not going to get too deep into that, but but Beckham, I mean, Beckham wins in a lot of different ways, of course, too, that Shepard doesn't win in, so, you know, he's a much better contested catch receiver and he's more explosive after the catcher, at least he used to be in his prime, um, but, and he probably still is, but fact of the matter is there's something to it when, 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 when a lot of people are seeing it, when they're watching the tape that Shepard is creating separation early and often. And he's said, it's, it's noticeable. It's noticeably better. I mean, the stats said it, like we said, the PFF numbers, 3.1 yards of separation versus 2.2 across the board, but it's not just the numbers. It's what we see when we're watching him.
2: Yeah, he passes the eye test, man. And it's just the way he handles his routes at the top of breaks. Yeah. The way he sinks his hips and can explode in any direction and kind of manipulate the defensive backs. I mean, he's very subtle with some of his movements. And if you see, he'll just be running the route. He'll be, say, he's running a dig route. He hits the top of his stem and he'll sink his hips, shoot that outside foot just outside and he'll literally just get the corner back just to turn his hips a little bit outside. And that is enough for him to just explode back inside on a dig or an in route or something like that, or even a slant or post. And that, little movement gives enough with his explosiveness that gives like a two-step separation right off of the bat and that is really important when you're talking about football these tight windows and that's how you beat man coverage and he's also a really smart receiver going up against zone he knows how to find those soft spots in between zone coverages too so sterling Shepard, man again i'm i'm excited for him this year he just has to stay on the field man he just has to stay healthy and you know those concussion issues man that's that's very scary it's very scary for a young player yeah no doubt about it at all, Nick. And
1: with aside from that, I do want to make, make mention, at least before I move on past Shepard, about what you said. And that's that he was really asked to do a, something a lot different last year than what he was used to. And, and I expected when Tate arrived on the scene that Tate would be the one actually playing more snaps on the outside. This was something he did a lot in Detroit. Um, especially earlier on, and and, and then finally towards the end, it was kind of a mix there, something he did a little bit in Seattle. But it actually was Shepard who was kind of taken out of his comfort zone and asked to play more of the outside boundary role than than he really had in the past, and he did well with it. I think he did really well with it, but I still think that he can win in a lot of ways by playing the slot. I think ultimately he should they should look into that and play him more in the slot this year than Tate, especially because I really really like what I saw what I've seen from Sterling on the slot vert routes. I think he does really a much he's a much better vertical receiver than people realize. He doesn't project or look like someone who'd be good in the vertical game, but this is just to me it's just a good example of why you can't judge a player's vertical ability in the vertical passing game based on how they look or, you know, any leaping stats or anything like that, their, their final speed or whatever it may be. Because especially on those slot vert routes, and this has been going on for years really with Shepard, I really like his ability to win deep on those. And it hasn't always resulted in big catches because of, you know, Maybe bad ball placement or or rushed plays because of pass protection. Remember, no quarterback last year was under pressure more, according to Pro Football Focus, than Daniel Jones. 42% of snaps, he was under pressure. No, tied for number one in the NFL, so don't let any other— I mean, you could listen to any stats you want on the Giants' line, but the fact of the matter is he was under pressure a lot, regardless of whose fault that may be. Um, but the point is, it didn't always roll in big plays, but I really like what I've seen from Ver- Shepard as well in the vertical game. So I hope that, and, and like I said, specifically in the slot vertical game. So I hope that that carries over. I hope he gets more opportunities in that regard, especially in a system like Jason Garrett's, which is going to have more vertical shots built in and more vertical shots featured. And we'll see where it goes from there.
2: Another thing, just looking through some of his stats in pro football focus when it comes to where he aligned up, he was much more adept to lining up on the right side of the uh, field and that even carried over to the slot too. So it's just an interesting little tidbit, especially when it comes to lining up wide, like last year he lined up 156 times wide left but on the right hand side he lined up 237 times and i went back well that was 2018 but then i went to 2019 and 2017 stats and it also checked out too so i think that's just interesting maybe he's just better at a route running when he's running it from the right hand side it's just more comfortable for him
1: yeah it makes sense and if you look back at Oklahoma, that's where he was aligned aligned a lot i mean he was in the slot but that's where they had him um one final interesting thing about Shepard: his 8.3 targets per game uh, across the season only 16 wide receivers in the entire NFL average more targets per game So that's something to keep an eye on when you consider a he was playing outside more often. than He had his entire career and B more importantly, he was playing with a new quarterback a rookie quarterback that he didn't have the rapport with so I think that Shepard and Shepard's rapport with Jones was seamless and it came quick and it wasn't based on, you know, spending so much time together in rookie minicamps, things that were working after practice, kind of what, what happened with Slayton. This was just him getting open early and often, and Jones being a passer, especially in Shermer's offense, which was predicated on getting the ball out fast in the short, quick passing game. He was the guy who was open, um, and he was the he was the easy read for him because he was open so often. So Shepard someone I'm really excited about. I know a lot of people have, have waned on him. I know he doesn't have quite the excitement of the next guy we're going to get to, um. So let's, without further ado, talk about Mr. Darius Slayton, the fifth round pick last year who, you know, became one of, I don't know, led the league actually uh, in 20 plus yard touchdowns last season, six touchdowns of 20 plus yards, led the NFL in that tied for number one there. But that's insane to begin with. Let's kick things off there. I mean. The list of accolades goes on and on, which with with Slayton, we can we, as far as the rookies go. I mean, we can dive a little more into that. Uh, I'll get into that as well, Nick. But before we do that, I want to know: Do you think that he's a guy who can emerge as a true number one receiver when you factor in this one? Past Jason Garrett offenses have really, really been heavily targeted. Like, if you look at all of Garrett's offenses before, especially before he took over. As Coach and when he was just the OC of the Cowboys, it was literally a funnel of targets for one big number one receiver It was miles Austin it was it was it was Terrell Owens and it was Des Bryant for a little and then tight end and a running back It was that's where all the targets were going the number two wide receiver on those Garrett teams re- and number three receiver did not get many targets and these guys all had a more similar build to Slayton than Ingram or then Shepard or I'm sorry then Shepard and then Tate or then Corey Coleman, you know. So my question for you is, what is the ceiling for Slayton in year two? Are we getting too excited about him, or is this for real?
2: It's definitely for real. I do feel that uh, Jerry Jason Garrett's going to use Tate, Shepard, and Slayton more so than what he did in those other places when he had Miles Austin or Terrell Owens, and then the second receiver was Roy Williams on the back end of his career. I think that you're going to see the ball spread around in a solid manner but Slayton I think is going to be that guy and we have to credit Tyke Tolbert the Giants wide receiver coach who Joe Judge also kept on this staff which you and I were both incredibly happy about I mean he really helped develop this kid I mean Slayton coming out of Auburn didn't really get a chance to really shine down there as an Auburn Tiger but coming into the NFL as a fifth round pick man he just hit the ground running by week three he was seeing significant snaps and that rapport with Daniel Jones was just, I mean, we were talking about the report with Sterling Shepard. He also has a good report with Golden Tape, but his report with Darius Slayton was just so on target, man. Like, the, just throw the ball up, man, man coverage, and Slayton's going to come down with it. And Daniel Jones did that quite a few times he would manipulate the safety throw that ball up to Darius Slayton up the sideline and Slayton would climb the ladder high point the ball and use strong hands to secure it and bring it down he did that quite a few times and then when he goes up against Stephon Gilmore Jones put it in the place of Slayton to catch it but Stephon Gilmore punched the ball out like it was something in Madden it was actually pretty hmm. funny but Slayton is he's He's it, dude. I think he's going to be a really solid receiver in this uh, league. It depends on now what you're looking at when you say that true number one receiver. We're talking about Julio Jones. We talk about Calvin Johnson. We don't want to be unreasonable when we're really quantifying what that actually means because it's kind of an ambiguous term, but can he be... The guy, the number one target for Daniel Jones as a wide receiver, especially with all the other weapons that Daniel Jones has, you know, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley. I think that answer is yes. I think he's proven enough, and he was a rookie last year. A lot of people in national media aren't giving him credit because he was on the Giants, and the Giants were kind of a dumpster fire last season. They didn't win that many games, and then Pat Shermer ends up, you know, getting fired and everything like that. But look at just look at what the kid did. Fifth round pick. Nobody knew who he was coming out of the draft. And look at the big plays, like you just said, six touchdowns, 20 plus yards or more. I mean, that's uh that's very, very impressive. So I'm really intrigued with his upside. And I also think, you know, just surrounding him with receivers like Sterling Shepard Golden Tate, only gonna bring the most out of Darius Slayton. So it's uh it's gonna be fun.
1: Yeah, I think from the overall like thirty thousand foot view of this. What I was so impressed by with Layton were two things. was One, his ability in contested catch situations. You bring up the Lions game. That's probably the two best examples of it. But it was in multiple spots, and he worked the sidelines really well with his route running. And but, but two, it was the route running. I just did not expect his route running to be that good as a rookie. That was an area where I thought he wouldn't be able to create separation off the snap. I thought he might have struggled with press. I thought there were a lot of really not— which is raw aspects of his game as a route runner. I thought, you know, you look at the profile, he made huge plays in. Down, uh, down the field for Auburn and after the catch, too, where he really did an excellent job at Auburn when he had few limited opportunities of exploding after the catch. And he has that gear, that breakaway ability. We saw it against the Eagles. But for me, it's what stands out for me and why I'm so excited about him. And I think that this excitement is for real. I'm on board with anyone who wants to get as excited as they can be about Slayton. And it's the route running. It's that ability to create separation in a variety of ways. He's nuanced with his route running. He's he's lo- he's he's lengthy and he's big, but he's but for some reason he's nimble. He he kind of has those Jordy Nelson like feet. His footwork reminds me a little bit of Jordy Nelson when I used to watch Jordy Nelson. And what really excited me the most, Nick, and I, and like I said, I, I spent a lot of this morning and afternoon watching the Giants receivers on tape. And while I do, while I will stand by my earlier statement that Shepard's the best route runner. I think by far and away the most improved route runner on this roster from the first snap he had in 2019 to the last snap was Darius Slayton. Because, like, if you throw up that Tampa game, there are a couple routes. There's an early vertical route where he doesn't do a good job of getting separation, and then later on in the season you see him run a very similar route in the Eagles game, I believe it was, where he creates that separation. Um, Similar, uh, really, all the routes in that game and and in his his first few games, Washington— I'm sorry, not Washington— the Tampa game, uh, the, yeah, the first Washington, Minnesota he obviously had the big play, but it's, it's it's similar in that the route running seriously improves as you as you watch him further along in the season. You, this is a guy who you can see is making strides as he's working, as he's getting those live reps, and as he's playing the wide receiver position for the Giants. It's really that's what gets me the most
2: excited about
1: Slayton when I watch him.
2: He releases off the line of scrimmage, man. Whether it be inside, outside, and he actually does a solid job stacking on top of the cornerback. And what I mean by that is, when you release off the line of scrimmage, you have a one-way go. And the stack on top of a cornerback means that you basically position yourself on top of that cornerback before he can fully turn around. And that's going to create a natural separation between you and said cornerback. And if it's man coverage, it's going to be an issue for the cornerback. And if you watch Slayton, he does that a few different times. And he's a- also able to get you going. One direction as a cornerback, and get your hips fully almost fully flip that one direction and then just totally shoot off to the left hand side. He did it against Xavier Rhodes on the uh, touchdown pass again in the Vikings game. I mean, he really just kind of embarrassed him, and that kind of sparked the decline of Xavier Rhodes. that two thousand and nineteen campaign was not really good for him. And honestly, man, we shouldn't be as shocked about Darius Slayton's athletic ability when you go back to the combine and you see, kind of his testing numbers, man. A four, three, nine is 87th percentile, 40 and a half inch vertical jump, that's 93rd percentile, 135 inch broad jump, 98th percentile doing that with 32 and three fourth inch arms, which is 71st percentile and big 10 inch hands, which is 86th percentile for the position.
1: In, in addition to that, Nick, I do think something you brought up that was interesting to me was, you know, why should we be, be surprised based on his combine? And I think that It's not as it's not that I'm surprised, at least as far as I'm concerned, it's not that I'm surprised that he is this athletic based on, you know, because I did see the obviously knew the combine. I knew the upside from that standpoint. I saw the very few select plays where his where his athleticism was allowed to thrive in Auburn. Uh, Obviously, he was completely held back by quarterback play and an outdated offensive system there during his time there. But for me, it's the surprise that it translated so fast as a, a specifically in his route running for somebody who's a fifth round pick. It just doesn't seem like it makes any sense. I mean, usually with those fifth round picks, you're gonna get one or two other things. You're gonna get somebody who's already a savvy route runner and winning in that way and maybe doesn't have the athleticism to then win at the NFL level, or you're gonna get somebody who the Giants drafted, which was supposed to be just a ball of clay, you know, an athletic freak that you have to mold into a player and it's gonna take time. It's gonna there's gonna be growing pains. And there just seems to be so few growing pains with Darius Slayton. He missed so much time in training camp to the point where he then had to miss weeks one and two, missing live reps the entire time, missing any rapport he could build with his quarterback, and then comes right in in week three and hits the ground running with three catches for 82 yards, and it could have been even bigger. He just missed a a deep ball with with Daniel Jones in that Tampa game. It was so close to being caught, and that was the route I was talking about. He did a really bad job, in my opinion, at least compared to what I saw the rest of the season for him, creating separation on that deep route. The corner was right in his hip pocket, and it's probably why he wasn't able to make that catch I mean he improved in that regard massively really right away I mean you saw it in the Vikings game but for me it's that he was able to so seamlessly and quickly transition and the fact that he was that good that early as a route runner and was that was able to use his athletic gifts that early and translate them to the field immediately that's why I'm so excited about Darius Slayton long term
2: just goes to show you man development is not always linear and some people develop at a much faster clip than others and what i mean by development is not always linear essentially is some people when you develop you ascend and you just keep ascending and you will keep ascending but that's just not the way it is. Sometimes you ascend and you plateau and then you just you know, go horizontal or you even go back down. You get taught the wrong thing, try some different things, and it just ends up sucking for you. That can happen too. But with Slayton, that development curve was just boom, boom, boom. And you really got to credit the coaching staff, credit Pat Shermer, credit Tyke Tolbert, credit the guys who really were able to kind of extract the most out of him. And obviously credit Dave Gettleman for recognizing the fact that this guy – could be something special because it seems like he's developing into that but let's just hope that that development curve keeps ascending and doesn't either plateau or decrease there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner bet online nascar is back and bet online has hundreds of other games events and sports to get in on you can still bet on simulated nfl nba and ufc events 24 7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament that you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling The Final Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Yeah, and a few more things
1: on Slayton because I don't want to turn the page just yet. There's still more that I think we need to discuss. I mean, you talk about the Xavier Rhodes game where he made him look like a fool. But, I mean, it's crazy because when I went back and watched today, this is coming up a lot more than it, like a lot more than I can honestly remember with a Giants receiver in a really really long time with just him making a cornerback look foolish the Jets game he runs a slant route for a touchdown where he just completely breaks the corner's ankles he's completely off balance the Dolphins game we talked about he ran basically a, a deep, a deep stop route where he just completely destroyed. I put this on Twitter a couple months ago. He completely destroys the Dolphins cornerback. Again, this is the third example of a cornerback literally buckling uh, his ankles buckling and then being taken out of the play. Then there was a route against the bears. It was a simple, like a, a fake out in where he just totally, again, creates separation, makes the catch, move the chains. Another first down. This happened really often for Darius Leighton. And, The numbers back it up, too. I mean, he led the Giants in receiving yards. He led the Giants in touchdowns, 8 and 740. Led the Giants in yards per catch. Really healthy number there. He had a 14.3 A dot, which is averaged uh, depth of target, according to Pro Football Focus. So he clearly projects as someone who was used in the mid to deep target uh, range and can be then an asset and easy transition to a vertical passing game like Jason Garrett's expected to run. But then you really just dig a little bit deeper. And this is uh, courtesy of Pro Football Focus. When you look at a yards per route run, it's one of their better advanced stats, I believe. It really just... Gets to the point of how well you're, how many, how many yards are you able to create on a per route basis, and in that regard, he was among the top in the NFL. He, uh, he, his usage, by the way, was higher than any tar. He, his routes per game and his targets per route were higher than any other rookie and yet despite having such a high usage which by the way to me shows one he was able to quickly transition to the nfl two he's able to quickly transition to uh an nfl offense with Shermer, and then three he was quickly able to transition and create a rapport with his quarterback albeit two quarterbacks he played with during the 2019 season because when eli manning stepped in against the eagles guess who was having the best game at wide receiver it was darius slayton We had two unbelievable routes for touchdowns against the Eagles, one where he just broke free after what should have been a four, six yard slant or whatever the hell that was. And then the other where he just outran everybody and ran a really nice vert route, but His usage was the highest among all the rookies, which was awesome to see, because to me, that just means that no matter who was in at quarterback and there were, like I said, two quarterbacks, they trusted in him. They believed that he could create separation. They believed that he could make contested catches, and they believed that he could make plays necessary when given the ball. So despite the fact that he wasn't targeted as often on a per game basis by Daniel Jones as Tate and Shepard, I don't think that means that will carry over to 2020 with Jason Garrett's offense, especially as he takes that potential leap in year two. Remember, receivers used to break out more often in year three. It was always known as the breakout year for receivers. That trend has kind of ch- uh, changed in recent years. Really, we're seeing it more in year two now with the receivers. So I think there's really good reason to believe uh, that he could take that next step. And by the way, Nick, remember what we heard before the draft that Darius Slayton's biggest issue is the drops. Remember that first rookie minicamp where he had the drops and everyone was going crazy about the drops? What what about his rookie season because drops were not really an issue for Slayton much no, at all.
2: He only had the 3 drops. The one the one thing I will say and this is also a benefit of just having Saquon Barkley on your team, Slayton saw a lot of just single coverage and he would see the second cornerback sometimes for the defense because teams were putting trying to put 8 men in the box to stop the running game and the rushing attack, the vaunted rushing of attack of the 2019 New York <laughs> Giants. But seriously, just having Saquon Barkley, if you're a defensive coordinator, it was the first thing you're going to take away. I'm not going to allow Saquon Barkley to be my defense. That is not what's going to happen. So then you look at guys like Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard. There's also very dangerous receivers that you need to account for. And then you have this fifth-round rookie, Darius Slayton. And early on in the season, I mean, they put Xavier Rhodes on him, who was like, I mean, I think at the time they considered him their top corner and then the 2019 season was just right down the toilet bowl for the poor guy but then we saw just how it just broke out and then what happened next week New England you saw a lot of Stephon Gilmore on Darius Slayton people started to take notice and then Darius Slayton started to just win his one-on-one matchups against some of these corners man in detroit he had the two touchdowns on what two catches so uh, those were just man coverage you're gonna cover me in man i have enough of a rapport with daniel jones daniel jones gonna put that ball up there and i'm gonna climb that damn ladder and i'm gonna get the ball and that's one of the big things I love to see was he became a pretty solid, I would say a really good contested catch receiver. And that's something that, you know, we didn't expect from a fifth round rookie to be that strong at the catch point, especially someone who's pretty slight. I don't want to say, yeah, he's according to pro football focus. He's 190 pounds for sure. Now let's take a look at the third big name on
1: the Giants step chart at wide receiver before we get into the depth of this depth chart um, and kind of what's going to happen from that standpoint. And that's golden Tate who made his debut season with the Giants last year after serving a four-game suspension, eventually missed one more game, I believe, week 13. Um, Already talked about the fact that he worked out of the slot a little bit more than we expected. We expected him to be more on the outside, Shepard to be more in the slot. What I found most interesting about Tate's game is that there wasn't really a drop-off that everybody was saying was going to come because of his age, blah, blah, blah. And I never saw the drop-off by the way earlier in his career, but it wasn't a drop-off when it comes to what he does best, which is create yardage after the catch. He still was near his uh, career averages and yardage after the catch. And for those who don't know, since 2013, there hasn't been a wide receiver who's forced more missed tackles after the catch than Golden Tate. He's still among the best at forced missed tackles and yardage after first content among contact among wide receivers. But what interests me the most is that he didn't fall off that much in that regard. But it was also how he was utilized because for the first time since I believe 2013, since his days with Seattle, he had the lar- he had the uh, highest a dot average depth of target. So he was used in a more intermediate vertical role than ever, than he had been in years with Detroit. And then finally, you know, since those early days of Seattle. So for me, what interests me most is how he was used, why he, uh, the fact that he didn't have much of a drop off and yet. And in addition to that, you know, when I watched him on tape, what would always stood out to me was that he made a lot of tough catches for Daniel Jones. He took a lot of big hits while making a ton of catches over the middle. He's not, he's fearless in that regard, but I kind of really liked golden Tate as let's say the number three, if we're conceding that one of Shepard or Tate will be the number one for this team, which I think is fair to say. And I know you think it'll be more of like an even for all three, but I I kind of see it more of that thing, like a, a, a tier up top and then golden Tate. And for me, I'm really excited. If that's my number three, God bless. I got a great number three. Like maybe I don't have a hot rookie who may be bad by the way, in his rookie season, or may not take some time to transition, but I got somebody who I know is dependable. I got somebody who still makes yardage who still creates yardage after the catch, who still forces missed tackles, who can play more in the vertical game than people realize. And you know, you had that big vertical touchdown against the Patriots from Daniel Jones out of that slot vert. Um, and just like I said, his a dot was higher and he still had really good numbers. Um, as far as a per game basis and still has the eye of daniel jones remember 8.4 targets per game when jones was in the lineup that was the most among giants receivers on a per target basis so for me i'm excited about him as a number as a number three where do you stand nick
2: i'm definitely excited about him as a number three and you also got to realize too last year daniel jones rookie quarterback starts that tampa game wins that tampa game in that tampa game saquon barkley gets hurt and that's the probably the number one guy he's relying on and then the next week Sterling Shepard gets hurt. So who does he have to rely on after that? He has Darius Slayton and Golden Tate, and then that rapport gets kind of enhanced, the rapport from just being around each other. So Tate really stepped up in a big way after he got out of that suspension, that four-week suspension. He really ended up stepping up in a big way for Daniel Jones. Like you mentioned, that slot vert. I mean, he showed his vertical skill. That was man coverage against, I think it was Duran Harmon. I'm not really 100% sure, but he's able to make that bobbling catch for a touchdown, first touchdown pass in foxborough in how many weeks you know what i mean tate was the recipient of that so just having tate as that number three that savvy vet who's just going to bring the toughness he's not afraid to go over the middle of the field has a high football iq going up against zone going up against man he knows how to manipulate defender's hips so of course yeah the third receiver if we're going to break it down that way i'm definitely excited about that and like again these receivers the Giants don't have the Julio Jones, like we said, but this core group of three receivers, it's very, very solid. It's something to be excited about. You don't need a Michael Thomas or Julio Jones to have a good receiving core.
1: Yeah, and they're going to be utilized a lot, Nick, because although we said this team is going to want to, again, establish themselves as a physical team in the run game, hopefully Andrew Thomas will help in that regard. Maybe they can get lucky and Lemieux can transition quicker than we think to that center position because <laughs> watching the Giants today... I saw I saw Jalapio just get destroyed. So many Jalapio just getting pushed back into the quarterback is just a, it's, it's too it happens too often when you watch this team Um, the same really for pulley from that standpoint, not not as blatant and aggressive, but just neither are the guys I want there at that position. They just don't have the, the the strength to keep that pocket integrity on the interior, at least in my mind. um, You know, others disagree, but it is what it is there, but. Watching this team, this is a team that's still going to pass the ball a lot. And although they want it, like I was going to say, they want to be in 12 personnel, Nick, I don't know that it's going to happen with this defense. I think this defense still is going to take some time, especially without the offseason. And in that regard, then this is going to be a team. If the defense is bad again, let's say, or just not that much better, it's going to be a team that once again is in 11 personnel all the time, throwing the football all the time. Daniel Jones last year was one of just 11 quarterbacks in the entire NFL to have five games with 300-plus yards passing. I mean, that says a lot, not only about what he's able to do, but about the fact that they're passing a lot. I mean, again, in in conjunction with that, of the dropbacks, he was pressured, most in the NFL. So teams knew that he was passing a lot. It was obvious passing downs, and he still had to pass the ball a lot. So I do honestly believe that there's a good chance this team is still passing the ball a lot. And in that regard, it's going to be really important to have all three of these receivers healthy. We talked earlier about Sterling Shepard, who really, sadly, appears maybe one concussion away from uh, potentially having to retire. It's a tough subject. We don't know where he's at with that. We have Darius Slayton, who suffered injury earlier in the season, missed the first two games, missed a lot of training camp. And we have Golden Tate, who missed a game in the season with injury. He's older, um, has a chance to obviously be more injury-prone based on that. So if that's the case... Where are they going to have to look for 11 personnel? Because you look at the rest of this roster, and this would be the only area where I start to get concerned at wide receiver. It's after the big three for me. It's after the starters. It's after the guys who are going to actually play the snaps if all things go well. It's what happens if things don't go well and injuries start to pop up. Because then you're looking at somebody like Cody Core, you know, basically is a career special teamer. Corey Coleman, who, former first-round pick 2016, not too long ago, was really a guy who I— Felt like, I just got wrong. I really liked him coming in, and I, I'm just going to have to call it wrong at this point, but, I mean, injuries have played a huge role, obviously, but this is a guy who I thought not only won vertically, he created awesome separation. To me, he was like a almost like a better version of a faster version, I should say, of Sterling Shepard. He wasn't as tough as Shepard was, but he was really good at creating separation as well. You have Damari Scott, a the guy they got from Buffalo, uh, uh, Benjamin Victor, David Sills, a guy who played with um, – Greer over at West Virginia probably can't play in the NFL in my opinion doesn't really have the speed for it Derek Dillon the under another undrafted free agent a guy from LSU runs fast small Austin Mack the Ohio State undrafted free agent, we talked about him a little bit Amba Etzutal who kind of stood out last year in training camp but that's that's the that's the really extent of it Nick so do they are they equipped there is there anyone who stands out to you that really has your attention what do you where do you stand on the depth the back end of this depth chart at wide receiver
2: you left out Alex Bachman from and the Alex forest, <laughs> but nah, in all seriousness with the depth, the fourth receiver spot. I mean, ideally I think they wanted to go to somebody like Corey Coleman. He has the pedigree. He had the athletic ability, but the torn ACL still remains to be seen how he's going to bounce back from that. But then you have the four guys, they, the four receivers they brought in. Well, the three receivers I should say. And then there's rice and John who I want to say, they're going to move the tight end. Rice and John is a played up at the uh, up, Played his college ball up in Canada, but I think they're moving. He's like a six foot seven wide receiver who I think they're moving to tight end. So then now you have Derek Dillon from LSU. You have Benjamin Victor from Ohio State and Austin Mack from Ohio State. And Derek Dillon, I just think he's raw when it comes to his route running. I don't know. If we said those kind of things, about, or people said those kind of things about Darius Slayton coming out of college, but. He barely saw the field there. And yes, I know they had Jamar Chase, they had Terrence Marshall, they had Justin Jefferson, but he still didn't really see any snaps until Terrence Marshall got hurt midseason for the LSU Tigers. But Derek Dillon can add a real element of explosiveness. So if he kind of comes along and develops, maybe you get him with Tyke Tolbert, he can be really uh, intriguing because he has those athletic traits that are kind of eye-popping. and Everyone knows the 49-yard touchdown catch against – Auburn this past season that's kind of in LSU lore. Because LSU were looking like they were going to lose that game until Derek Dillon made that play. So that was huge for them. So he came up big in the clutch, which is something that you want to see from a young player. And then you have Benjamin Victor who he's just a really... F- He's kind of frail, I guess we'll say. He's very, very yeah. skinny, but he has incredibly long arms. And that catch radius can be really important, you know, third down, red zone, along the boundary. You throw him some back shoulder throws, he can be really important there. But he's going to be able to beat press? Uh, I'm not sure. His strength just doesn't seem to quite be there yet. But Austin Mack is somebody I feel like can really step up because he does have the route running ability. He does have the spectacular catch ability, which he's flashed in college. He just wasn't all that productive. He was a highly recruited recruit coming out of high school. But he just never really put it all together at Ohio State, dealt with some injuries, and it just never really materialized fully for Austin Mack. But he's flashed a lot of good traits. So when the Giants, man, we talked about it on the Undrafted Free Agents pod. I mean, they wanted Austin Mack, so they spent a lot of money to go get him. So I think he also has a realistic chance to earn some snaps this season. So between those three, one of them can rise up in training camp. If I'm put my money in anybody, it'd probably be Austin Mack. But I think mm-hmm. Derek Dillon can earn the niche role of that electric guy who could just take the top off the defense. And then Victor, if he can kind of get stronger and kind of develop a little bit more muscle, maybe he's somebody else to definitely watch out for. But as for Amba Edatawo, uh, Alex Bachman, David Sills, I don't really have necessarily great hopes for, but if they can recapture something with Corey Coleman too, it, it would be it'd be great. It'd be, it'd be I'd feel comfortable going in if Corey Coleman can develop to 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 something like even Cody Latimer, even though their skill sets are totally different. With Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Corey Coleman as the fourth guy and then see which one of those undrafted free agents kind of steps up in my mind probably Austin Mac
1: yeah, it's interesting the way they've kind of approached their depth at the receiver position. They, despite the fact that Coleman was coming back off an ACL, they let Shepard go, Russell Shepard, who, by the way, you know, when I watched <laughs> the tape today, he just, he, he shouldn't have been out there running routes for this team. I mean, he just. You're talking just, about the deep post, aren't you? The, the deep, deep post, post in the box. what I'm talking about in the Tampa yeah. game. That should have been a touchdown. Like, DJ put that ball in a really good spot that ball was had unbelievable touch dropping right over the top it literally lands like a foot over what would have should have been his outside the perfect shoulder that you want to drop the ball and it's literally a walk-in touchdown for a receiver with like four 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 five four four five speed anyone who really should be running that route but it's okay they let him go they let fowler go they mean they let colatimer go this is they really did a revamping of their depth and yet Really, you're counting on a guy who tours ACL and and some undrafted freedom. So I'm going to put my money here on as far as the depth goes on Coleman. I'm a coleman truther i have been a corey coleman truther i'll be a corey coleman truther to my death i just want to give this kid a chance give him another shot it's never easy coming back off a torn acl but i have noticed that acl's recoveries have been better a lot better than a lot of other uh recoveries for a lot of other injuries specifically you know achilles things of that nature Uh, a lot of different lower body injuries acls have had better recovery rates and it really uh, ultimately depends on the athlete but but for me, I'm going to keep my money on Corey Coleman here uh, because I do believe that he can make that bounce back. And it's funny with Coleman last year. Not funny, I guess. I, I was on a trip last year when I was still working for 24-7 Sports and covering the Giants where basically any Giants breaking news I was had to be right on top of. I was on a trip that was supposed to start a day later, but I was there a day earlier and kind of just jimmied it around at work in my old job 24 seven because I needed the extra, the extra, uh, the extra off day, the extra vacation day. And I was hiking to the peak of a mountain in Banff, uh, Canada with my, with my friend Steve Hall, who's a big listener of the podcast. Shout out Steve Hall. Shout out Steve Hall. Yeah. My boy, Steve Hall, avid listener of the podcast. So anyway, as we're hiking the peak of a summit, this is just one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. Literally, one of the most challenging, coolest things, and I'm doing it with Steve Hall, who has NS, and he's hiking this this summit like it, like he's a normal human being. Like it's unbelievable. We're taking breaks, obviously, but breaks are not like I just I'm watching somebody in my opinion complete like I'm I'm saying this with no just no knowledge of what it's like to be what he would to have what he to deal have what he deals on a daily basis but let alone on a daily basis but now hiking a mountain and I'm watching this man complete this feat of just unbel. it's unbelievable to me in my head I'm watching it and I'm just like What the hell is going on? And boom, I get a notification on my phone. Corey Coleman tears his ACL. Boom. This is like pre-training camp, pre-everything, and he's already tears his ACL. And I share it with Steve and Steve and me are just nodding our heads like, unbelievable, of course. Corey Coleman tears his ACL. The Giants have an injury before ever. And yet we use that somehow, I think. I think in some ways, shadily, we use that as motivation to finish this peak because we still had so much more to go. We're like, it was one of those things where you keep climbing and you think you're done And it's like, no, 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 actually that we got to do that. Oh, no, no, no. We actually got to do that. But when we got to the top of this peak, easily the best feeling in my entire life, the feeling of most accomplishment in my entire life, just incredible thing to be a part of. But it was just so funny because I remember getting that notification on my phone and sharing that with Steve and me and Steve, just in typical Giants fan fashion form, just like nodding our heads. Like, of course, the Giants have a season ending injury already in the beginning of freaking June or July, wherever it was.
2: We made that. I mean, I'm telling you, the Giants have made that just like a, a habit. It seems like every every year. But this year, you know, different circumstances. So we haven't heard anything quite yet. But we also had DeAndre Baker. so
1: Without a doubt. Um, all right, guys. That's all we got today for the Wide Receiver Positional Podcast. Thank you again so much for tuning in to the podcast, tuning into the show. If you don't mind doing us a small favor, all we'll ever ask is that you – Simply uh, rate review us on iTunes. Share the podcast with your friends and family that are Giants fans. Um, if you provide that rating and that review and download, it'll help us build the show even more. And do us a favor. And like I said at the beginning of the show, please follow our Instagram page NY Big Blue Banter. We've been posting a lot of content there, and by we, I mean thanks to shout out to our to our to basically our best fan and my boy now Sean Barletta Sean Barletta has, has been instrumental with our Instagram page he's got it all set up he's doing us a big solid there we're trying to grow that Instagram presence grow the big blue banter podcast in any way we can so shout out Sean Barletta you're the you're the you're the man dude seriously you're the man
2: yeah, Sean, we really appreciate it, man. I know we've been uh, texting and email and back and forth, but seriously, bro, we uh, really appreciate it. It's a solid, and you have a really dope last name, by the way. Hell yeah.
1: So check out the pod on Instagram. Follow us there. You'll be seeing new updates. There's a ton of content being posted there already, which is awesome to see. Um, on that note, guys, we'll speak to you soon. We're going to pick up next with the tight end position then we're going to get into a little bit of offensive line and then we're finally going to settle with a big pod a daniel jones pod the quarterback position so keep it locked and loaded big blue banter and have a great rest of your week